0: You know, but when I entered the working world, I can, I kind of, you know, I kind of understood a bit more about what that entailed, and that was about go-getting, sort of expressing yourself, your your sort of talents. You know, after I don't know how many years, uh, like four or five years, I got into a position where I could, you know, be part of a startup business with some other people so and I had shares in this business and it was kind of partly my own you know and there's all this talk of you know dividends and selling and you know my eyes like lit up you know it definitely kind of creeps creeps you know up on you creeps into your life I mean I was you know as I alluded to you know university I you know like smoking a lot of weed I think because of this diagnosed sort of ADD You know, I was looking for things to sort of anesthetize myself a little bit to maybe quiet my mind. So I was using cocaine kind of to do that at the weekends. I was starting to sort of feel not very good about myself. It sort of would also, yeah, sort of numb, I guess, you know, or disassociate myself with work um, so that I could kind of switch off and, and kind of escape from that. And she, you know, I, I was ready to tell her my, you know, life story. Hi oh, Trina, poor me, you know, I've got this cocaine addiction. Do you want to hear about how it started? Um, and of course, you know, she didn't. She's, she was a volunteer, as I, as I know, know now. And she just said to me, okay, you need to get to a meeting. Hi.
1: And welcome to the There's Another Way podcast with me, Adam Halverson. And me, Pete Dolby. And you've come to the place where each episode we'll be shining a light on authentic people who have chosen an alternative path to their new normal to find another way. Today we have a conversation with Bruce Robertson.
2: This is an honest and reflective story about addiction, self-reflection and transition from self to others. We go into Bruce's journey that begins with the high stress and consumerism of corporate London, followed by a battle with addiction, 12-step, and the carving of a more selfless, balanced life. Let's go, I hope you enjoy. All right, Bruce, welcome to the There's Another Way podcast.
0: Thanks for coming. Hey, did. how's <laughs>
1: <laughs> Driving through the night to get here as well, amazing.
0: Yeah, well, not quite through the night, but I left, what time did I leave, probably? About eleven PM after faffing, <clears throat> had a nice refreshing shandy before leaving. Even though I said to myself I'd do a little dry run, but I'm just enjoying August for what it is. And um, yeah, yeah, I just I decided I got super paranoid suddenly last night about the traffic this morning. So and I just really like driving at the night. I find it quite peaceful and yeah. yeah. So there's no traffic. And, and just just to be clear. Um, Bruce's van is parked
2: outside which is an electric camper uh, and it's got a single mattress in the back. Um,
0: Bed and wheels baby, dwelling on wheels, it's the future. God it's just, it affords me so much fun and freedom, it's just so great, it's so epic. But yeah it does have a tiny range. So the the journey is the destination, it's all about just like... 70 mile charges and uh, enjoying
2: just,
1: yeah, just being present to that and just, yeah, not really getting anywhere fast. <laughs> I listened to a podcast the other day uh, and there's a guy that's just, he lives out of a backpack and a small at like that and he's got nothing else, no possessions and in time he's just shrank it down, shrank it down and that's all he needs, you know, he's, he's, he's free to move wherever he wants, he's living in Mexico City at the moment, uh, but, you know. Is he one of
0: these people who identifies as a minimalist or... He is, I think, isn't he? he yeah, is he? Yeah. He's well, like a deliberate, conscious Really thing.
1: inspiring guy and I mm. listen, it's fantastic. But,
0: yeah, I'm trying to do that, but... Yeah. I just love clothes and sneakers too much, (laughs) (laughs) but I'll get there.
1: Well, on on that note,
2: so I was thinking it's a good place to begin, it'll be a brief background, you know, where was home, what was early years, and then then we'll dig into, you know, your journey from after that in London, career, you know, and,
0: and we'll dig into it from there. Yeah, nice. Well, I think, um, you know, my opening sort of gambit calling you both dudes should um, give uh, anyone listening a bit of a clue that, um, yeah, we haven't just met today. Um, so this this is, you know, um, where we're sat now, you know, the sort of High Wycombe area. This is where I was born. This is where I spent a lot of my uh, formative years outside London. And then, um, <clears throat> yeah, we went to university in, in Sheffield together. So apologies if there's any inside jokes, (laughs) Um, but um, yeah, and then I think probably like picking it up from, um, you know, after university is probably a good place to sort of pick things up. So I didn't, you know, I didn't do very well um, academically and there are reasons um, for that, which maybe we'll we'll get into. Um, you,
2: you got into grammar school though, right?
0: Yeah got, into, yeah, got into grammar school. Um, so, you know, I think there's obviously some underlying intellect lurking there somewhere. <laughs> but, um, you know, academia, I mean, well, screw it. Now, you know, now we've sort of touched on it. I mean, you know, I got a diagnosis um, later, in a lot later in life, in the last two, three years of uh, ADD. So, and that... Became that started to make a lot of things, started to make a lot of things uh, make sense. So, and one of them was, you know, my inability to really focus on academia, Um, sitting down with books was just. Um, you know, just found it very difficult. So my grades as a result weren't too good. I was very easily distracted. One of those kids who had that smattered on every single school report. So I got, I think back then it was like 12 UCAS points or something. So I I managed to scrape into, I think there was like two universities which were kind of like, yeah, we'll have you. One of them was Sheffield Hallam. So went up to Sheffield, and again, you know, I wasn't really too interested in academia at that point. I kind of didn't really know why I was there. You know, I've clearly struggled with academia education, and yet here I am having to do further further education. But- Did you feel <laughs> pressure to go down that route? Because that's what everyone else was doing, or the school- I did, yeah, I did. And actually that's a nice little, you know, segue into kind of what I did career-wise, because really what I was trying to do is, um, you know, <clears throat> perfectly understandable we all do it i was you know trying to please my parents you know that i was still really young still really a kid come turning into a young man so you know i was really desperate to um Make my parents proud, please them. They desperately wanted me to go to university. You know, the baby boomers, you know, they, I think, inherited a lot of that pressure from their parents. You know, my grandparents, when they grew up, you know, it was all about what their kids did. Um, the, the communities were a lot sort of smaller. Everybody knew everybody on the street. And if you're... Kid turned out to be a doctor, you know that was the holy grail. So it was all about. So there's this undertone, I think, of, you know, you got to go to you got to go to university. Now, my dad, in particular, was a man who I desperately wanted to emulate. Um, again, this is biology. You know, I was I, I wanted to get his um, attachment. I wanted to uh, make him proud, but also he's an incredible human being. Um, so, you know, and he'd. Actually, chosen a path where he dropped out of school. So here, so he, um, you know, really wanted me to go a a way that, in his words, was um, not as difficult. So he left school at sixteen, and he was desperate for me to get an education because, in his mind, he went the hard route. And yet, the route that he went, actually, he made a lot of success out of that route, and. I'm really sort of in many respects a sort of carbon copy of him. Um, so there was a bit of probably projection. He hadn't achieved what he wanted to maybe achieve at school, wanted therefore m- me to kind of achieve that. And I kind of, yeah, so naturally I, I felt that. So I went to university. I didn't go to any lectures. I smoked a shitload of weed. <laughs> um, so, you know, there you go. Where does, where does that get you? But, you know, I did do, I did get this further education my university did give me a higher national diploma, or as my brother calls it, have no degree,
1: um,
0: (laughs) HND. And, um, you know, I think the university was just fulfilling a quota. Um, You know, these universities, they make money. You know, they don't want people to fail. So, you know, I tried my absolute hardest. um, But shout out to Sheffield Hallam University for giving me a qualification that really I just did not deserve. But that kind of then allowed me to sort of finally get out of this further education business and was that a check in the box at that point do you feel
1: that your parents were saying that you know maybe go down the university route do you feel like that was a check in the box of their eyes
0: yeah totally yeah Yeah. totally in fact i kind of had the option to do a third year to turn it into a degree and um i sort of embarked on that but then very very quickly about three months in um decided nah I, i can't i can't do this so i i um i you know withdrew came home and then did what i kind of had felt a sort of a yearning to do, which was to to work to to graft, so I had been instilled from a fairly early age the importance of grafting, the importance of working for your money. you know when I wanted a car and my friends were driving these shiny brand new cars Um, when I had that conversation with my dad he said good brilliant I'm glad you want a car Um, you can go and stand in some manholes for me for um, eight hours a day in your summer holidays my dad being in the sort of plumbing business in the the sewerage business so so I kind of knew um, I've been taught the the value of money I've been taught what a day's work feels like Um, so I was really kind of desperate to yeah enter the working world And I kind of knew I had something to offer there more than in the in the academic academic space. So, do you do you think um, do you think during
2: education you just didn't really understand what it meant, you know, as in what is this actually going to help me do? um, Just a disconnection from it. Whereas obviously working, you're like, well, I get this because I'm?
0: Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah, totally. You know, what did I learn at university? Stuff about the House of Lords. Like, what, why do I need to know about the House of Lords? Like, what the hell is this? Like, I mean, if people had, you know, there were some interesting things, you know, how to break even and all this kind of stuff. But maybe I would have been better off sort of, you know, studying economics. But, you know, I didn't have the UCAS points. I didn't have the grades. So um, so anyway, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, I, you know, but when I entered the working world, I can't. I kind of... You know I kind of understood a bit more about what that entailed and that was about go-getting sort of expressing yourself your your sort of talents you know having letting your determination kind of come through Um, and by that point I think I had quite a lot of you know determination bit of a point to prove so I naturally went to a a sort of graduation um, sorry a, a recruiter which specialized in graduates and they chucked a load of us in a room and basically watched how we all obs- observed how we all interacted with one another um, and then after that they approached me and said you know we're not sure if you're aware of this but you're you're a salesman um, and then it was you know you're a marketing person and you're this and they'd basically you know quite a clever way of sort of I guess, just seeing how people behave in, in these environments with other people. Um, I don't know what I was doing. I was probably talking to a lot of people, being quite sort of effervescent and quite extrovert. So so I then was told, OK, you're, you're working in, in sales. And I'd spent then a long period Grafting away and doing sales. Did
1: you feel that was a good fit at the time, or were you well? Uh, let's go with it, or you know. You...
0: Um, yeah, I did. Feel, I did feel like it was a good fit. Um, I did feel like it was a good fit. Um, I very quickly realised that, you know, really sales is about you know getting people to sort of like you. Um, is about you know chasing um, money, which I kind of you know had enjoyed, and you know it was also quite fast paced and quite, you know, you could kind of make as much money as you kind of wanted to, you know, providing you were prepared to sort of work for it. So, you know, I don't actually think now in in hindsight that that was <laughs> necessarily the best thing for my brain because my brain, you know, with this undiagnosed ADD wanted to, um, you know, wanted dopamine. It wanted to chase stuff. It wanted this. You know, dopamine being a reward chemical. So every time I closed the deal or get close to closing a deal, you know, it gave me this thing that sort of I needed and kind of craved. And so I really sort of fixated on it. Um, and you know, once I got into an environment where you know, which happened, um, you know, after I don't know how many years. Uh, like four or five years, I got into a position where I could, you know, be part of a startup business with some other people. So, and I had shares in this business, and it was kind of partly my own. Um, you know, and there's all this talk of you know dividends and selling, and you know, my eyes like lit up, and it was you know this is what my dad had done. He'd grown grown a plumbing business. He'd sold it. Wow! Like I'm on my way. This is what this is what I've always wanted. But um, you know it. It really then became all-consuming. I could. um, We were selling to people all over the world, Latin America, East. What what were you selling? Um, Yeah, we were selling um, conference, like conference sponsorships. So we were um, an organizer of. Um, events for bankers to come together to network, um, uh, and we basically hired the hotel. We got the people there through writing a program of speakers and panels and invited people, and then, you know, use that as kind of the bait, if you like, to then get <clears throat> big banks to part with, you know, um, you know, sums of money which were, you know, not insignificant um, to sponsor these these conferences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we had clients in Dubai, we had clients in Latin America. So it kind of meant that, you know, these were the days of the BlackBerry, what an awful invention that was. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, these were in the days where, uh, yeah, you could, everything was done over email. And, you know, ostensibly you could work from three in the morning to, 10 at night, which I kind of, you know, did a lot of the time um, because, you know, these are opportunities to make money and that's what I was focused on. Having no idea about stress and my health and mental health and all these kind of things. Um, so, yeah, so that was the path that I kind of chose and that was, you know, the reasons why I was on that path until some of those reasons started to become a little bit shaky Um, and a big turning point was in 2017. So I'd been with this business for eight years, growing it, hoping that we would sell it. We hadn't sold it. Um, You know, we had a plan three, five years, we'll sell it. Reality with these things, that doesn't happen. And so I'm still doing this thing and then in 2017, my, you know, appetite for cocaine at the weekends became uh, so much that I did one of the you know, bravest things that I've ever had to do, which was call up a, a helpline for Cocaine Anonymous um, and, you know, surrender to this thing and say, I've got this, you know, I've got this issue. I can't stop taking cocaine at the weekends and I need help. So I entered into meetings. Um, I worked 12 step program I make it sound really straightforward it kind of wasn't but.
2: well and then just to just to take a step back on that I mean because obviously it you you know it was it's not slow progress with these things is it it's it's kind of all of a sudden you don't just have a coke habit mm. you know so what what would you say you know like for example during those seven years with that business you know where where was it that you felt the drug started to ramp up where it sort of brought you to that point where you're like hold on a second Mm. I've got, I've got to sort of check this.
0: Yeah, um, <clears throat> I mean, you know, it definitely kind of creeps, creeps, you know, up on you, creeps into your life. I mean, I was, you know, as I alluded to, you know, at university, I, you know, liked smoking a lot of weed. I think because of this diagnosed sort of ADD, you know, I was looking for things to sort of anaesthetise myself a little bit um, and to maybe quiet my mind. So I was using cocaine kind of to do that at the weekends. If you imagine, you know, if you're, um, you know, working, you know, pretty hard and sort of long hours and constantly fixated with this BlackBerry and emails and, you know, that sort of, you know, that can be a buzz, but it can also, you know, take quite a lot out of you if you don't, you know, give bandwidth to other things, just, you know, sitting quietly um you mentioned the dopamine here
1: of getting the sale sorry and yeah.
0: sale over the line you think
1: it was kind of filling the void for for that feeling when you're getting the sales in
0: um yeah I think probably yeah I think probably I think that I just wanted more of those highs I think it wasn't so much a chasing of that high I think it was um I want more yeah I want more highs I want I want more out of life I want to create these you know buzz moments but I also think you know I was I was a you know what I would describe as a weekend warrior so um, although you know on the odd occasion if I had enough beers then I'd have a Tuesday or Wednesday session which were the worst but the week you know I think at the weekend I really wanted to kind of disassociate with work I wanted to switch off but I found it extremely extremely difficult you know when you're when you're consumed by it so much, So I knew one of the ways that I could do that was just oblivion. So, right, let's get to oblivion um, where, you know, I'm not thinking about that stuff. And with enough, um, you know, mind altering substances, you know, you can you can do that. Um, But yeah, just to go back, I guess, to your question, Adam. Yeah, I think, you know, I think probably there were, you know, there are a few elements. I think the job... I think I started to find the job less satisfying, less fulfilling. Um, I think also I had at the time I had a relationship which was sort of starting to become um a little bit difficult or um, you know and that was my part as much as anyone's um, so I think these elements really you know conspired to sort of create this kind of like perfect perfect storm where you know it just ramped up and you know I was earning really good money so I had the means so and
2: and do you think um do you think a lot of it was pressure based you know was it was it a way of kind of escaping or sort of you know numbing anything or because also you know There's one side to drugs, which is just partying, right? Which Mm. I would say a good amount of people have had an experiment on a Saturday night in a club, for Mm. example. But it's kind of when it then tips over to it being that regular, you know, frequent, that's just what we do type Mm. thing. Yeah, like I've spoken to you, like, I like a beer. Again, I have to keep it in check because it can very easily get too much. And I've sort of tried to reflect and I think a lot of it is through historic work stress you know you get into habits so do you think any like can you see any patterns that emerged
0: um yeah I mean I think that the uh I think the main pattern was introduce alcohol into my system um you know alcohol is a sedative you know it's a a depressant um yeah it's also an non-inhibitor but you know actually I never really enjoyed being like drunk drunk so But it's readily available when five o'clock or six o'clock or whatever time you're finishing on a Friday comes, you know, you go to the pub. That's our that's our that's our culture, that's our society. Especially in London. So, you know, so there I am in the pub, you'd have a few beers. I start to feel that sort of like, oh, I'm sort of slurring my words, I'm not quite as articulate or on point as I want to be. I'm feeling a bit tired. Um, right, I know, I know what it's time for. So i'd I'd call it on then, so that's kind of how it would um progress. Um, and I think it was, yeah, it was um, so I could kind of be more kind of confident because I think i I was starting to sort of feel not very good about myself. Um, it sort of would also, yeah, sort of numb, I guess, you know, or disassociate myself with work. Um, so that I could kind of switch off and, and kind of escape from that. Yeah, so I think it was like, yeah, those those kind of elements, those kind of factors, you know, and it was, yeah, it was, you know, it was pretty pretty bad before I had to call, call the helpline. There were many weekends where I'd be staring at myself in the mirror. I remember, you know, I remember a particular dark moment where I was sort of having a conversation with myself in the mirror, but I was kind of having a conversation like with like the universe or I was sort of, you know suddenly really afraid that you know i was gonna basically have a heart attack mm. um, and i remember sort of talking to my reflection and saying or talking to you know the universe or god or whatever and sort of saying don't take me now and if you don't i'll, I'll sort this out i'll rectify this um, you know, that was, a, that was a particularly, well, like, it, sound, and it sounds as well,
2: like there's an element of guilt attached to what you're doing as in, you didn't like what you were doing as well.
0: Yeah. And, and, and this is the cycle. So, you know, you feel the guilt and the shame, which then feeds into this lack of self-worth that happens usually around Tuesday, Wednesday, you sort of like rebuild yourself. You have a healthy kale salad and a nice smoothie and then ah, you're all chipper again. And then Friday comes around. Oh, what's that? It's five o'clock. And you know, the cycle just like continues. I know which meme you're
1: thinking. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm thinking. Yeah. Of, yeah. Um, <laughs> had, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask you, so at the point where you thought, hang on a minute, this is not right. I, I think I've got an issue. How much time elapsed between that and then you actually picking up the phone? Cause that must've been quite a challenge to push yourself.
0: to. Be. Yeah. I think, I think actually, um, the, I think the moment and this is quite interesting was um, I suddenly re- I was putting my girlfriend at the time through so much hell um, and I knew that she was gonna leave me I was like I'm on borrowed time it like if I keep doing this I'm that de- I'm out Like, I'm gone and so that was actually the catalyst for me calling the so I couldn't do it for myself um, but I sort of could do it um, in order to, because I think I knew if that happened, then I might just you know descend and slide into just a you know a far far worse place, um, because you know my direction was, and it's back to sort of you know emulating my father. I wanted to marry this woman. I, want, well, I Really, what I wanted to do is get married. I wanted to tick that box. So much so that I'd actually ignored, you know, some red flags which came back to sort of haunt me, and and I'm am sh- sure she ignored a few red flags with me as well. Um, I'm by no means perfect, but you know, so um, so that that was quite that was quite interesting. How I was you know working towards this thing, um, and it was actually you know it was actually really damaging me it was like you know causing me to make really bad decisions putting me in this position where i was kind of quite unhappy didn't feel good about myself you know and then enter cocaine and and alcohol you know they just feed off of that um so so yeah so i think that was the moment it was just weekend after weekend um i'd signed up to do an edinburgh marathon um, you know, I'd done all the, I'd done various things um, and none of them could stop me from, you know, to have one beer um, and it would just be on the, you know, what I've, what I've since realized is, you know, there is obviously um, a dependency, people can, you know, get dependent on on cocaine. Um, I met a lot of people in, in recovery, some of whom were daily users, you know, this is like they need it on a daily basis. But I've also since learned that there's this peculiar thing which not a lot of people talk about, which is um, when you mix alcohol and, and cocaine together, you can develop a dependency on that on that mixture, the fusion of those two sort of chemicals reacting in your in your brain. I'm not I'm not a scientist, so I, I don't know how to explain that. But for me, that was definitely you know I never did cocaine dry, you know, which mm. is sort of you know expression in recovery um i.e. I always had at least one or two drinks so I think I was kind of um you know addicted to that it was that mix so you, the solution for me at that time was hundred percent abstinence just just a <clears throat> quick question as
2: well because is there an example where you could give it was actually because when you mentioned the marathon it reminded me of a story and I don't, actually I've never I've forgotten if it's true or not but if I remember correctly I remember you went on a bender and then ran a marathon like after two hours sleep.
0: It was my brother's um, 30th, and it was St. Albans. Um, Which is pretty hilly, isn't it? Yeah, and by the way, I did it in one hour 34. What? I mean, ridiculous. But, um, you know, I, yeah, that was my brother's 30th. I was drinking like Irish cream at about five in the morning, slamming these Irish creams, and then um, slept for about three hours, woke up, drove and and then did yeah did, did this did St Albans yeah um, half marathon um, you know, I do have a lot of muscle memory from when I was a, um, a teenager running for the county and running long distances. So, you know, it wasn't like some freak superhuman activity. It was like, you know, I'd had a lot of conditioning and training, which I somehow still to this day can sort of like, you know, cling on to, yeah. uh, you know, it's just muscle memory. but. um Oh but yeah 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 you know I was I was a highly functioning well you know, and,
2: I, and I guess my my sort of point is that's almost like a bit a bit of a good example of where habits sort of creep in too much where you, you know actually you've got a big event but you've normalized it so much you're like ah, screw it I'm just going to go I can do both you
0: yeah know? yeah and and actually that um that's a curious thing as well where you know if I had something important the next day The idea of going out the night before was so naughty that, you know, again, you know, I think a lot of this comes down to brain chemistry. The idea of like going and doing this fucking thing anyway and sort of getting away with it, you know, that would release a sort of reward chemical in, in itself and would be really exciting to me. So yeah. there was lots of things that I did, you know, some relationships, really important relationships that I very nearly really, you know, ruined, you know what I'm talking about, you know, the people that brought me into this world, um, you know, big occasions that, you know, I wasn't present for. Um, and, you know, through the 12 steps, I kind of, kind of, had to meet those things head on with these people and sort of apologize and do a lot of, um, cleaning out, uh, house, um, you know, which we can, we can talk about a little bit. Um, I I think, I think it probably is a good segue
2: to go on to 12 step because obviously, you know, I've listened to a, a lot of other people talk about it and actually it has mixed, um, it has mixed, I don't know, feedback or perception, because obviously yeah. there's quite a lot of spirituality in it, but actually what I hear is... Don't mention the S word. Yeah, well, <laughs> and that, that's not me judging it for that reason, but as in I'm saying, yeah. there's a lot of... there's um, Well, I suppose what I'm interested in is, so you made the phone call, how did you then get... What what then took you
0: to sort of 12-step and, yeah. and AA? So, I made the phone call. The phone call lasted about two minutes. I remember the lady, the name of the lady that I spoke to, Trina. You know, and she, you know, I, I was ready to tell her my, you know, life story. Hi, Trina, poor me. You know, I've got this cocaine addiction. Do you want to hear about how it started? Um, and of course, you know, she didn't. She's she was a volunteer, as I seen, as I know know now. And she just said to me, "Okay, you need to get to a meeting." Um, and that was it. And that's all that she really needed to say. So did I get to a meeting that night? Of course I fucking didn't. Um, did I go to a meeting the next day? No, I didn't. I was terrified um, of going to this meeting. So, you know, I'm in communication with my girlfriend. She's like, you know, so so you go and ask these people for help and they told you one simple thing and you don't do it. Like, what are you doing, man? And I was kind of like, yeah, what what am I doing? So. <clears throat> With this relationship kind of on the line, um, I then went to a meeting. It was like the last meeting that I could have gone to that day. I was putting it off, putting it off. It was at like nine thirty or something in Archway. I don't know if you spent any any time in Archway, but you know it's um it's pretty colourful. And anyway, um, so I went to went to this meeting, um, and you know, met, met some people who were really kind to me, um, kind of took me in, and then I heard, you know, their stories and I'd heard about how mangled they were and, and where they were now, but they just had this, you know, there's this thing that they talk about in um, 12 Steps, which is it's about uh, attraction, not promotion. It's why it's kind of underground. You know, it either attracts you to it, or it doesn't, and you know, the first way you get attracted to it is if you goddamn need help. And then the next way that you actually start the actual putting some action and actually go through the process of actually doing the thing that you kind of need to do, um, you know, you need to have examples of people that have something that you want, and namely it's, you know, uh, sobriety, but also having a sense of just well-being, self-confidence, chill—you know, not not giving a fuck, whatever. It, lots of these things really sort of resonated with me. So, so I kind of, you know, I was ready to sort of jump in. You know, I was kind of, although it was petrifying and it was um, it was terrifying. Um, you know, I did I did make that step. Um, you know, I got a sponsor, um, and I went through went through the 12 steps. Um, so that was, yeah, like August, 2017 and yeah, you know, it does have, um, even I now today have mixed sort of opinions about it. But one thing that I do have strongly is my opinion that, um, you know, I'm eternally grateful to that fucking process. Um, And, you know, anybody who struggles and is, you know, has a dependency, without that, you know, it's quite hopeless. You know, I I don't see rehabs necessarily um, working that well. That's my experience in terms of my lived experience, in terms of people that I've encountered who've gone through that process. Um, You know, the 12 step um, process, you know it works. You yeah. Know. Um yeah. But it is something that yeah it does have a sort of spiritual um, element, um, and I think that puts you know I think that puts a lot of a uh, lot of people off. But I think that's because they sort of understand this. They don't understand um, you know spirituality forms of spirituality. I think it's very personal to the individual. But, you know, you go into meetings, you hear a lot of people referring to God and that 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 really puts people off. Mm. But, you know, God is a synonym for whatever the fuck you want it mm. to be. You know, the universe, whatever energy is like currently, you know, running through us now, you know, nature, the, you know, whatever it whatever yeah. it might be, yeah. um, which is why, you know, an important thing is sort of, um, you know, finding your own, um, you know, your own sort of sense of, of, of what that is. And
2: so you touched on, um, one of the outcomes of 12 step was to go and have conversations with people that you may have wronged. Mm. What, what was, what was that about? What
0: was, what was that aiming to do? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I think, you know, one of the, you know, one of the sort of themes that I mentioned, I wanted to kind of like bring in was this kind of sense of balance. So, you know, I think I've sort of talked a bit about, you know, how the scales were kind of really, you know, shifting in, 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 in certain directions. In terms of how I uh, was as a, as a human being, as a sort of, you know, receptacle of, you know, thoughts, um, feelings. What I didn't realize is that, um, you know, through your life, if there are things that happen... If you wrong people, um, you know, it's the classic thing of, you know, we've all been there where you wake up the next day and you've had a few drinks then you have that moment. You're like, what did I say? And like, who did I say it to? Did I, did I offend that person by saying that? So, you know, but if you sort of blow that up a little bit in terms of, you know, if you do certain things that um, have wronged people um, and you've never sort of. Um, met that head on you've never really sort of resolved that you without you knowing you sort of carry that you know around um, with you so the idea of that is to really go through that um, and to you know relieve you of a lot of that stuff so that uh, as they talk about you can you know walk around you know, wherever, and you never have to be sort of like looking over your, your shoulder, you know, who am I gonna come across? Are they gonna be cross with me? Or am I gonna be cross with them? Um, so it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of just getting rid of some of this like, you know, baggage um, that, you know, you you might be, you know, carrying around with you and, and, and might be the thing that the, the drugs and the alcohol are, are kind of feeding off. So it's really a, a cathartic um, process. Um, it's quite a horrendous, you know, it's quite a nerve-wracking mm. process.
2: Yeah, I guess it's forcing you to take head-on issues, mm. you know. I can understand why why they would encourage you to do it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's also um, quite a humbling experience. You get kind of, you know, it's kind of coached by people who've gone through it before. Um, you have this wonderful thing called the big book about, you know, alcoholics, which... Of Alcoholics Anonymous which um, even if you have a drug addiction you know that's the book that everybody um, refers back to and it is written out in there you know how to conduct yourself um, you know one of the things that you have to do is just listen to that person you know I did this how did that make you feel and let them you know tell you Hear it, like really hear it. Let them vent if if um, if that's what they need to do. You know that's cathartic for the person. It's also cathartic for you. It's also very humbling. And you might you might just find at the end of that process. It's not guaranteed, but you might just find at the end of that process that the two of you then are able to see each other in the eyes and almost get to a place of sort of peace, acceptance, maybe even love um or some softness some kind of something resembling a little bit more kindness rather than you know hatred and and resentment you know resentment is the is the word that um they you know they use so clearing clearing these resentments you know i myself had um a previous relationship which had you know ended really badly i'd done some awful awful things um during a period in her life which was you know you know, there was stuff going on. Members of her family were dying, was seriously unwell. Um, you know, I was basically a major, see you next Tuesday. So I met this person, um, went through that process. And how that process was concluded is the individual that I'd come to try and make peace with, which I just didn't see how that would be possible, ended up concluding our conversation by saying, Bruce, thank you so much. It was really good to see you. I think it's time now for you to go and be happy. You know, that was her, uh, like, well, well wishing to me. So she had an understanding. Yeah, some amazing. So mm. she had an understanding that,
2: you know, she knew it sort of wasn't you. It was, you know, it was like your behavior, but it wasn't really you. And it was a consequence of what was happening at the time.
0: Yeah, and I think this is the big thing. And this is the spiritual element of the 12 steps is it shines a lot of light on you in inverted commas but what it really shines a light on is your ego so it's your it it is you but it's part of basically how you're allowing your mind and and also more importantly your fear to drive these behaviors that you know would drive would drive anybody to have these behaviors you know um and actually are not necessarily in your you know are not natural in terms of you know, I think that we all want to be kind and loving, but every now and again, our, our minds or, or an element of fear um, drives us to do things, um, you know, which are, you know, wrong, horrible. So it kind of it kind of shines a light on that and teaches you to sort of observe that stuff like and how that actually drives a lot of these behaviors. And so you talk you know talk to people about that you own it um, and you know how can you still be you know mad at somebody who is saying look I'm really sorry um, and I'll do whatever it takes to sort of if there's anything I can do I'll, I'll do it and then to sort of sit down with them and talk about what they're doing, what happened to them. Okay, they got a drug addiction and now they're going through this massive process, which is like an overhaul and they're really humbling themselves and, um, you know, learning a lot about themselves and and fear and all these kind of things. You know, you can't, I don't see how you can necessarily, but I'm sure there are examples because people do some pretty monstrous things but you know you, you you get what i'm saying right um so um yeah
2: we're not we're not talking here that you had to face like a really it's not like you caused anyone any harm like physical harm or you know mm. but you you know you were asking you're asking for forgiveness of you know in theory relatively minor things but like I said it, it, i think i think anybody would be find it difficult if someone sat in front of you and said look i wronged you mm. i'm really sorry Mm-hmm.
1: Mm. Um, I guess it's encouraging you to look at the friction points you've had with a different lens, without the clouding of all the, the substances and stuff, and freeing up headspace and, and, and baggage really, so you can ha- focus more energy on the recovery, isn't it?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's really nice to see that person then go off. Yeah. You know, we haven't kept in touch since then. We, it's not necessary. You know, she's married. She's got you know family that was the moment where we could, that was the closure, okay? You go off into the universe on on your path, I'm gonna go off, but neither of our, both of our paths are are gonna be improved by the fact that we've just allowed that stuff just to fuck off into the ether. Right, fuck off. That happened, we both were probably carrying it, but now we can just sort of like, you know, shrug the shoulder and just, you know, like be clear of it. And, Yeah, I think so, you know, that really, you know, I came out of that situation and it wasn't like, oh, well done me, because I knew that's the last thing that I should be doing. And also it wasn't anything to do with fucking me. It was me following this process um, that, you know, from this book, which had been written by these two, you know, guys who actually I've, I've since learned were potentially taking quite a lot of psilocybin but let's that's another com- that's another conversation but there was a, this text is sort of I've heard people refer to it as you know divine text um this is why it spooks people right it's like okay I'm out I'll just get about smoking the crack it's like no 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 sit down wait 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 he doesn't mean it like it's a bible but like you know it's just really good stuff um but you know it um you know, it's, you know, so it wasn't me, it was kind of, I just followed this process and wow, like that, I feel, I feel really good, um, about what I've just done about that person, about how free we are. So, you know, I think, so, so there's two things I think at this point, yeah, now I'm free of that declouded. I think that's a great way of, um, yeah, sort of expressing it. So, You know, with that kind of mist and, and, you know, veil removed, um, you know, so I start to bring things sort of back into balance where really I'm starting to become more like my, you know, authentic self. So I think that's kind of what I was referring to about, you know, nobody necessarily wants to be a, you know, cunt. I think everybody's true authentic, you know, being is... You know, one of you know kindness and and love and but I think I think just quickly
2: I think for me though, what's really important about that message, is people shouldn't chastise themselves for mistakes, you know mm. because what's well, human nature it's, it's, makes mistakes exactly and in, in in a sense, I think we sort of live in a bit of a culture and a society where you're not allowed to make mistakes, mm. and I think that's for me that's a really good lesson which mm. is you can do some like you said fairly horrendous things to someone but you can learn and you can grow and yeah. if you know that's a message from you know that part of your process it's a pretty freaking healthy one
0: yeah 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 totally but i think you know a lot of people they're not necessarily um, they don't necessarily do the work that is involved to see potentially what it is that's underneath you know these errors these these mistakes well, cause so it's, it's painful to self-reflect it's painful to self yeah because it's you know if you don't have a tool by which you can really examine it in a in a in a sort of more healthy way what is it? it's wallowing isn't it it's like oh i don't want to you know you kind of need a teacher a guide a book something to you know so you know i encourage anybody you know, to do work on themselves, you know, get therapy or explore Buddhist teachings or, you know, whatever it might be, go and listen to some, you know, self-help podcasts from people who have kind of trodden that path and kind of understand a little bit what it's about. Because in the 12 steps, when you do make a mistake, um, you know, you have this process. uh, It's kind of like journaling where, you know, you look at something that's happened in the day and you sit down and you might have sort of a resentment like you've said something because you've been pissed off with that person or they said something to you and you reacted and at the end of the day you sit down and you look at what what was, what was going on with me? So let's take like, how can you possibly know what's going on with that person? You can't, you're not in that person's head, you haven't lived that person's life. But what you can do is you can assess what maybe was going on in that point at that time for yourself, you know, and you write down um, in categories, you know, what, what was going on. How was I selfish? You know, oh, I wanted that person to be a certain way. That's fucking ludicrous. Like, how you know, what are you like, you know, the control of the universe? Yeah. Or I I was scared at that point that I wasn't enough. You know, that person talked down to me. I did, so I then reacted. And it gives you, uh, you know, through that process, it kind of allows you to kind of step back and observe yourself in these situations where, okay, I'm about to respond and react because I feel this thing coming up. And that fear is, you, that that um that thing is usually is usually fear, um, you know. Another great expression that I like from from the from the book from the book of Alcoholics Anonymous is uh, you know fear is the firing mechanism for all sin. So you know you think about that. Let's take envy. Um, you know I don't believe I'm scared. I'm not enough. I'm scared that guy over there is more handsome. Who's mowing my wife's lawn? Like I'm now envious of that. You know that that guy. You know greed you know again you know i'm i'm i don't have enough money i've i'm i'm i've i my status isn't enough you know whatever it might be so you can see how but so you know through through doing a process like that and becoming that, that's you know that's what self awareness is that's what true um, self awareness is and i i you know i do it all the time i catch myself it sometimes takes a little time for that (laughs) behavior to sort of come out and then you kind of go whoa um and then you you know reflect on it and it allows you to have much more of an honest conversation with yourself but also others hey i was an asshole and i think the reason why i was an asshole is because i was fucking terrified like i was terrified of um not being enough or um, I wanted you to be really pleased with me or I wanted this thing you know whatever it might be this outcome Um, you know so it's kind of it's kind of just learning really to sort of let go and I think that's where the sort of spirituality comes in is like okay I'm not the director I'm not I'm not you know I'm not I'm not God I don't have any control over the universe, over what goes on, mm. and yet somehow we can fall into this thing, this trap of believing that somehow we do. Like this person needs to give me a reaction or give me an outcome exactly that what I need. You know, it's um, it's delusional. So, so yeah. Once all that stuff gets um, you know declouded. Um, you've now got, I'm now in this situation where I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm sort of aware, much more aware of my feelings, um, my fears, and I'm in this job and I'm doing this thing, driving towards these goals, which suddenly are just not cutting it. They're just not going to cut it with this now new headspace that I've got. And this clarity around
1: the new life goals, you mean, or your previous life goals? Yeah, or, yeah. yeah.
0: What I'm doing because I'm yeah. still living this life, yeah. right? Um, so, so yeah. 2017, I get sober. I, I do. I do about a year of sobriety, and I, and I realised that one of the things, one of the reasons why I've sort of gone to oblivion is I'm in this job that sort of, you know, I just don't, I just don't want to be doing anymore, and it's not fulfilling for me. Um, it's it's causing me quite a lot of stress. Um, and you know so I kind of decide right I need to I need to remove myself um, from that so so I go and see a career coach and talk to them about you know and we still don't come up with what we I want to go into I'm now of all things in the sort of fitness and wellness space which is kind of unbelievable but so I I you know I do this process I don't, I don't discover what it is that I want to do next in my career, even though you'd think that would be the brief for a career coach, but they do some great exercises with me. They, we, I get some clarity around sort of the fact that I definitely need to leave. So if I don't know what i want to go into, what I do know is I need to, I need to stop doing this thing. So I resign, um, they allow me to stay on in a sort of freelance capacity a little bit, and I kind of work when I want, and that's kind of nice. Um, I go travelling for a bit, um, and I'm, you know, to South America, where you know, a cocaine addicts you'd probably recommend a cocaine addict doesn't go, <laughs> but you know, that's that's where I went, and I did you know, six months backpacking around South America, you know, sober, and by the way, in Medellin, in Colombia the, the taxi drivers will drive up to you on the street waving a right. bag of cocaine okay. out the window at you that's how kind of like lawless is um but I did it and I was working um you know this sort of program I was meditating um in these like amazing hills makes me sound a bit like a monk I definitely wasn't and <clears throat> you know I was I was doing that and I my life was kind of you know coming really back into balance you know I suddenly was like doing these things like just being out in nature and I was like why is this so goddamn fucking enjoyable Mm -hmm. there's no plates of lines in front of me there's not even there's no fridge within two miles let alone in the room next door with beers in like how can I just be enjoying this so much and I think you know it was because I suddenly realized I'm really going back to you know the roots of what it is to be you know human um, and you know I'm just not sure that we're supposed to necessarily be in buildings and cramped on top of each other and and all this kind of thing. I just think it kind of, it can lead to, you know, stress. And I think, think, you know, for me, stress was a big um, component, was a big factor in terms of, you know, so the resentments, carrying stuff around, a job that I didn't like, doing cocaine all the time, you know, relationship that was turning toxic. All these things are, you know, stressful. Um, So I sort of took one by one, those things away um and just really went back yeah stripped back to sort of you know basics really and found there were things that i could include into my life that suddenly it was like this you know this is kind of the way this is the way this is the way i want to want to live my life
1: it sounds like you're making different decisions than you would have done before you went through that process Uh, even though you had availability of stuff from the taxi drivers and things like that Am I right in thinking, you mentioned earlier on as part of the 12 step process, you had to identify someone that you looked up to that had something that you, you wanted or sobriety, whatever that was. Am I right in thinking that as part of that process, you start to make decisions based on how they might make them rather than yourself so that then becomes habitual or is that not part of the process?
0: Um, <clears throat> I think um, the only, I would. I would look up to people, I had a sponsor, so I, I sought sort of guidance from him. But, you know, the good thing about um, the program is it goes back to, you know, what does it say in the book? Which, you know, does paint this picture of it sort of being a bit of a cult and like, you know, this is what sort of, you know, organized religion is, right? What does the text say? Right. You know, but the 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 text really was... There were just tools in it it was really like that's the way i saw it and i think that's the way a lot of people who did this stuff saw it this is a toolkit so go back to the toolkit um so, which was nice because so it was never like you know my sponsor's name was jack obviously i won't reveal his surname um you know and shout out jack motherfucker you know saved my fucking life uh, potentially but um he you know if i went to him he never said Oh, I've done it this way, in my opinion, is you should do it this way. And mm. you shouldn't listen to Gary, because Gary will tell you to do it that way, but he's a fucking crackhead, so don't <laughs> listen to that. You know, he was like, hmm, okay. Have you thought about doing some writing about that? Um, no, I probably should. You know, it gets to the point where it was, like, annoying. It was yeah. like, no, no, give me, the, give me the miracle cure. Give me yeah. the thing. Give me the yeah. little, like, hack. It was like, no. Like, go and sit in front of a page and see what fucking comes up. You've got the the, 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 the most annoying thing was, have you sat in meditation about this? It's like, no, of course I fucking, I'm having relationship problems, like fucking help me. It's like, yeah. well, go and maybe the answer will come. You'd sit in meditation, sounds really hoodoo voodoo. You'd sit in meditation and, you know, I was practicing meditation, so it wasn't like, I just went and meditated, I was practicing meditation it would just come, it would just, you know, this this fantastic thing called intuition, you know, where does that come from? It's just when you, you know, strip everything away and you just close your eyes and take out any external stimuli, you know, you are gonna get to a place with practice where you just kind of, you know, ah, you hmm. know,
2: like. When, um... You were in South America for example when you started to make these changes you made the decision to not um, you know left the job for example did it take was there a period of adjustment as in did you get to a point where you almost had to say I give myself permission to, to live like this and to do this the reason the reason I say that so for example when I left my job to start my own company it took me a long time for the habits that i'd got into that was causing stress to to leave like even now i'm like mm. i'm checking my watch cuz i'm like oh maybe i've got an email that i need to do you know what i mean mm. so it's like it it's it's did it take you a while to reach sort of that
0: to let yourself let yourself do it um yeah it 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 did it did i think I think, you know, I went to a career coach because I thought I have to have something that I go straight into next. And I think that's like a learned thing from my parents who were terrified of me. You know, our parents, the, you know, the old generations, they're a bit old school. You know, CVs are so important to them. I don't think anyone fucking uses CVs anymore. But, you know, back then people did, and a gap in your CV employers would ask about that why weren't you employed for this amount of time and and if you maybe back then if you gave the answer of I was meditating in a mountain in Colombia <laughs> I was trying to figure out my life like they'd be like mm, sounds like you was like like you know on your gap yard and just wasting time like you know get out of my office you know now I think there's a little bit more perhaps awareness around sort of stuff like that but you know I was so I'd learned that and so I was terrified of having this gap on my CB so which is why I went to see a career coach and then it just became very clear that this is not going to come it's mm-hmm. and, I, and I actually spoke to the chairman of my company and he said you know Bruce this sometimes these decisions can take four seasons you know it can take a whole year for it just so I was like all right so he's giving me permit he's sort of suggesting I just sort of DOS for a year that sounds pretty like good <laughs> um you know and but I, you know I, I was terrified you know idle hands, make, you know, work yeah. for the devil, right? Yeah. You know, I'm coming out of this drug addiction, like I've got money, and if I come out of the company because I own part of the company, I'm gonna get even more money. You know, this is a potentially dangerous situation. So, so I didn't take it lightly, um, but it wasn't coming. It, it wasn't coming, so I, I was like, well, I think I'm going to be okay. I think actually I'm going to be worse if I stay and keep pretending that I'm invested in this job and I'm not. And you know, and because you're doing the program, you're like, what is this? You know, how am I letting other people down? Which would have never like crossed my mind before. It would have all about being about me. Oh, uh, you know, I've got to make sure I get as much money out as possible, the situation as possible. But I was suddenly sort of being taught to think much more about other people not make these decisions so much about me and I was like you know there are people working in this environment and I'm just not at the races you know this is unfair like I'm sucking the life out of this place so I decided I was just gonna yeah I just need to just just leave so um I'm not even sure if I spoke to my parents before making the decision or, um, but anyway, I think I did actually. Um, and yeah, so yeah, so I just I just left without any without anything necessarily to go to, but I think it was it was less about giving myself permission, and it was more about reorientating sort of my my goals, like, if I leave this company, maybe I'm not going to emulate my dad's seller company. And have this, you know, achieve this like success in VEC commas. So well really, really what you were fighting
2: was the standard narrative.
0: Um yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, hell yeah, yeah. And you know, if you um you know, I think I think I'm very grateful for doing the 12 steps um because it did you know did shake me up and it did introduce me to sort of spirituality which then kind of you know kind of shines a light on the fact that you know there are these external things and there are these things that we convince ourselves that we want and we need but when you start to sort of chase something else which is like this like completeness or sense of being just content or at peace you are like the latest ipads not going to fucking do that like mm. or the co- or you know you actually start to see how these things introducing these things are actually potentially going to like fuel your ego and and create more of a monster um which you're you're actually trying not to no longer feed you know i you know, I was feeding this beast cocaine and booze and money and travel and women and, you know, like, fast-paced, you know, sort of, you know, life or job. Um I remember being with
2: you when you bought a 400-quid blazer once and, we... and a 50-quid
0: pocket, <laughs> pocket square. Pocket square. <laughs> I think the blazer was, yeah, like, 500-quid pocket square, 90-quid. Like and, and we were bunking off work that, that, that day. I was supposed to be at work that
2: day. But I remember thinking, like, shit, Bruce must be doing well. Like... Here's me and my, like, you know, I'm not buying blue blazers and
0: pocket... I still Anchor got cheese. that blue
2: blazer, by the way. Um, <laughs> I should hope so.
0: A lot, well, a lot of that, a lot of that stuff, I've given to um, charity shops. Um, now, I got an email the other day from a charity shop because I registered for Gift Aid, and they said, "Thank you for your donations. We we made five hundred and fifty pounds." I nearly stormed down there and said, "Well, you can no, that's my money, actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and also give me anything that you haven't sold back because actually that's worth a lot more than I realized. But you know, I mean, a lot of that stuff, um, you know, I, you know, I was. You know, I had I had loads of addictions that I didn't I didn't realize. Loads of these things, mm. sex for a while, um, definitely shopping, um, definitely shopping. You know, I went to New York once on on business, and I walked into Ted Baker of London. Very um, much, I live in London, and I spent something like two thousand five hundred dollars. I couldn't carry any more clothes out of the shop. Um, that's such a big representation
2: isn't it of of you trying to validate mm. the shit you were doing that you didn't enjoy and
0: yeah I was it was just a dope it was again it was was pure dopamine I remember feeling so good about buying all this stuff Mm. and then you walk down the street 50 yards and it leaves you and then you're like you look down at these bags and you're like how am I going to pay for this like you know um you know or how am i gonna then you know my cash flow is gonna take a big hit from from today's you know hour of activities and
2: and so so you you, you finish 12 step you you go into the belly of the beast uh, in south america uh, somehow don't get into cocaine but what um what did what activities or what sort of things did you start to do you know on this kind of theme of balance and authenticity what did you start what what started changing in terms of your daily habits your activities you know what did you stop well I guess we've touched on what you stopped doing as Mm. in shopping drugs booze uh, work or stressful work but what did you what did you replace it with
0: um, I never stopped shopping, by the way. I didn't, I, I didn't say that. I, I started becoming obsessed with really random Latin American football team shirts. Like, but anyway, um, it's definitely. Uh, I, I doubt that's going to kill me. Um, so, um, I yeah, I started to. You know, when you um, when you when you're living sober, you know, you, conversations with people um, become a lot more important and what you can share with them, um, you know, and how that then, especially if you're sober, um, how what that then opens up in terms of a dialogue, in terms of a conversation is just, you know, you just get to a lot more of a deeper sort of level than you would do with, you know, booze, right? We've sort of all, you know, been there where we've had those vacuous conversations over some shots at the bar. So that what we're talking about here? But, you know, when you obviously just sort of, know spending time in cafes or having lunch or going on these sort of like tours and or hiking like i spent a lot of time talking to you know guides on these like hikes um and meeting people in in latin america and i and i got a lot from that because um in latin america you know they don't a lot of people are you know are not as wealthy as we are here in, in the west and so what their reasons for living are very different um you know family is like the number one you know la familia is you know the most important thing and boy do they fucking you know populate boy do they breed but you know you sit down and you talk to people and they talk to you about that and they talk about how hard they work and how important it is to you know provide and try and Teach their, you know, kids um, certain things, but it's sort of very geared differently to, you know, my experience here in the West. It's not so much about oh, you've got to succeed and you've got to do this, got to do that. It's much more actually enshrined in sort of, you know, the you know the Catholicism of like, you know, being kind, um, you know, being there for your grandma, spending making sure you spend time with your grandma. You know, just li- little things like that, which, you know, because their lives are a lot more simple. I think it was, you know, I think you know, I was I was meant to sort of spend time there during that period when I was sober and really reflecting on life. And kind of when I came back, I was kind of, you know, with all my wristband, you know, my fucking you know, artisanal wristbands, you know, I was kind of really wanted to sort of simplify things. And I was quite jealous in a way of like, you know, these people and and their their existence, even though, you know, when you talk to them, you know they're incredibly envy. I'm not sure if envious is the right word, but they're very curious about you know what we do. And oh, you so you flew here on a on a plane? Wow, what's that like to go to another country? Um, you know, they've never left their borders. So so that was quite um, yeah that was quite sort of humbling and kind of, you know, I kind of came back and I was thinking, you know, right, how can I, how can I simplify my life? How can I sort of try and, I don't know, live a, live in a, live in a better way? And I'm still, I'm still kind of figuring, you know, figuring that out. I don't have children. Um, I did recently get married, but, you know, we, we've decided for our lives that we don't, we don't, we don't want to have children. Um, so, you know, my, my nephews are very important. Spending time with them is very important. Um, but it, but it's also, for me, trying to sort of live a life which is a bit more simple and is not orientated towards, you know, money, status, you know, possessions. Because all these things are basically, they'll basically feed off each other and they're sort of self um What's the word? You know, the, the more you have, the more you want um, and potentially the sort of unhappier, you know, you, you are. And that, that's just, just just my experience. Um, so
1: consumerism trap, isn't it? I listened to a podcast the other day and it was talking about how the first half of your life is, is, um, uh, is, is ego driven. So, you know, con- consuming all that stuff and collecting as much as you can. And the second half of your life is all about the soul. And that average turning point is about 47.2. and I thought that was really fascinating. Really? Yeah, yeah, really interesting. So, so you don't cu- accumulate as much stuff, it's more about experiences and more soulful existence. From 47 but and a half? 47.2, I think, was the average oh, age. Right. But I thought that was really interesting. Wow. But my question to you, see, that, that trip you did in, in South America, was that your first traveling experience and how impactful has it been for you? Because I... I backpacked around the world and I lived in America for a year and I've talked about this before. For me, it was one of the, the most seminal years of my life. And you talk about the gap on the CV and I could spend all day talking about that gap on my CV. And and if, yeah. if people perceive that to be, well, you're not conforming, then then so be it, but I wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah. And I, I don't yeah. encourage anyone else that's thinking about it to go and do it. Yeah,
0: definitely. I almost think it should be maybe like, I don't know, like law, Yeah. you know, like that. people, you know, because I think also, um, you know, there their are teachings and ways of living, you know, also in the East, right? You know, Buddhism, yeah. you know, things of that nature. Um, They're more
1: inward focused rather than externally focused like we are in the West, aren't they?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I remember being in Thailand and wanting to tip a guy, a taxi guy on a moped. And he said, oh, no, 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 no I can't accept it. And I said... I don't know, please, like, come on, like, this is like literally like 10p to me, like, just play. And he was like, no, no, because if you monetize my kindness, then it becomes like a transaction. It's like, right. I've done that for money, and that's not what. Right. So you're actually then taking away that. And it was like, holy shit, like, these guys have really got kindness, like, figured out. um So, you know, it's just, I think stuff like that, I mean, you know, for young people to kind of see and learn from but i kind of feel like young people are kind of getting that right now i think they're sort of figuring figuring stuff out a little bit um and waking up to to things like that and it probably is because you know they have access you know and, and can travel and um but yeah i i totally think that that you know i think yeah it should be yeah almost part of the education process like, i agree um, and I,
1: I think there'd be fewer trolls in the world if people were booted out of the country at 18 to either go and do something for the military or do go help people or go and travel and spend a year away and come back and just yeah. understanding other cultures and i think when you get back you appreciate your own country more and you know yeah people, yeah yeah definitely cultures yeah uh, like yeah. you say in latin america they revere the elderly the more sense of family i stayed with a family in mexico city and I never met B before, but because I was a friend of the family, come in, you can come in, we're having dinner. Mm. And it's like, this is just amazing. Yeah. We're very closed, aren't we? I think.
0: Yeah, very trusting and very open and like, yeah, yeah. And even the football matches. So you go to the football here, it's very generally,
1: typically more male dominated over there. It's a lot more families. It's very family orientated. and And,
0: and, And everybody in the country's. You know, I've seen. Uh, I spent time in Peru, and people walking their dogs, and the dogs got like a Peru shirt on. You know, and their <laughs> babies into it, and their kids into it, and their daughters and their aunts and the grandmas. You know, it's like, you know, because I think that sense of like, you know, pride and things, and I think it comes from their, you know, ancient sort of like cultures, their mm. civilizations about, you know, community. It's sort of tribal in a way, um, and I, I think maybe we've sort of lost sight a little bit of that um
2: and i think there's there's a real arrogance in a way or overconfidence of the way that we're living is completely correct Mm. and you know i don't know if enough people are really questioning or at least understanding and experiencing these these other forms of sort of culture and community you know because i do think whether we'd like to believe it or not a lot of people are keeping up with the Joneses. They're part of the rat race. They're part of a story which they haven't really questioned. And unless you go and actually adapt and climatize to a different way of life, you know, how are you going to actually understand that? Like you said, there is obviously with social media and the amount of content out there now, you know, people get exposed to it. But, you know, I, I haven't stayed with a family in South America. I'd love to because it would be amazing. To completely remove, you know, who cares what you're earning? Who cares what you're wearing? Who cares what you're good at, bad at, whatever? Hmm. Being in an
1: environment where it's like, well, you're just you. Hmm. You know, I don't think enough of us get to do that. Yeah. What impact that has on happiness? Because just because you're accumulating all the... all, all the stuff, It doesn't guarantee any happiness at all. But if you're sitting with a family chatting about their culture and understanding their values and breaking bread with them.
0: Yeah. 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 I think if you lived with a family, Adam, we'd, we'd, in Latin America, we'd never see you again. Like, <laughs> I'd start calling you Adam Havana- um, <laughs> But um, Yeah.
2: I, I mean, well, I think, I think for me as well, what, what actually I meant as well in terms of what changed in your daily habits, you know, EG, you're not, you're not doing these activities. You've, you've touched on meditation. You've touched on yoga. Um, you know how did you start to find those things and what did you start to get like surfing i think as well you know how yeah. did what how did you find these things and what what sort of what did you what did they start to do for you
0: yeah so um yeah so i i i found these things through yeah having you know, when you when you quit your job and you have you know a lot of time to sort of do stuff, um, you know, you have you have time to do stuff. You have time to go walking. Um, you have time to take up um, new hobbies or what have you. Um, I mean, the reason why I took up surfing was to impress the girl that I'm now married <laughs> to. So that that worked. Well, that worked. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but um, yeah, but I you know I kind of wanted to. Um, you know, I moved down to live by the sea, um, when was that, like, two, three years ago, um, and just found living on a, like, near the beach and kicking my shoes off and socks off and just being able to go and walk on the sand, um, you know, feet in the water. You know, everybody knows that feeling, everybody knows that sensation, everyone knows that it's nice, um. Um, I think
2: just for the record as well, it's probably useful to know that where we're sat is the furthest point from any coast in Britain. So yeah. to a lot of people being by the sea might be an everyday thing, but for us it's not.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, I'm 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 extremely lucky because unfortunately, you know, there's a price for living, you know, by by the sea. So, you know, I, I count myself very lucky, but um yeah, I guess I just wanted I, I guess I wanted to um yeah, pick up kind of like new ways of spending my time that could, yeah, that would allow me to find, um, you know, peace really. I think I have sort of moved a lot away from this concept, this idea of like happiness, um, because I think it's a bit of a sort of dangerous thing to sort of chase. Um, I think the real beauty is in just feeling content and just feeling at peace and being present. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, which, which comes with being, you know, present, mm. you know, cause if you're, if your mind is, you know, tch, 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 um, you know, going at a million miles an hour, i.e. you're not present, um, how peaceful is that? Mm. You know, it's not really. Um... I guess to sort of move
2: along in a way is, obviously at the same time, with the way that we live in the West, we've got to pay the bills. So what are you, where's your focus now what are you you know so I guess you've gone through this journey how are you now sort of manifesting that into um conforming some way but with with that balance that you talk
0: about oh yeah yeah of course yeah exactly I mean you know um although I whinge and moan about yeah that that's sort of like you know this is uh you know I still you know I still have a vehicle and I you know I I still like clothes. I tend to buy now like B Corp certified yoga wear from California, which is <laughs> not cheap. Like, you know, this stuff is not cheap. Um, so, you know, yeah, I've got, you know, I've, I've, I've still got various vices and things, um, you know, that I'm sort of, you know, hold, try and hold in, in balance. Um, but um, yeah, so now, so so during the career coaching thing, you know, they asked me to look back to when I was a kid, you know, what were you good at when you were a kid and ask your parents. And so I did that, you know, and as I mentioned, you know, I was a runner and I was, you know, doing doing lots of um, sports and, but particularly running. And they also, I was also, I also had these like aspirations. I did a bit of amateur acting and kind of, I was kind of really wondering, like, I think I even said to my parents at one point, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to become a professional a- actor. And they literally said to me, Bruce, you've done some things which have really alarmed us over the years, but this <laughs> is the worst. And I was like, what? So you don't think I could be Daniel Day-Lewis? Okay. How old
1: were you when, when you said
0: that? Like This is like this is like two, three years ago. I was like 38, oh. like a full-grown <laughs> man who should really know better. But, you know, I th- I'm, I'm a bit of a dreamer and I'm a bit of a go-getter. And there is an element of me that just doesn't give a fuck. So, you know, if I think, if I decide or if I which is, you know, a good thing. I think it's a healthy thing, but you do need it being sense checked. And I did get it sense checked. But the reason I I bring that up is because I kind of wanted to do stuff that would use that talent that would, where I could be in front of people, I could sort of perform um, and use, you know, some of what I felt was, yeah, a bit of a sort of talent. Um, So fast forward. So I'm basically unemployed. I'm still living in London. Can still, afford my fabulous gym membership, which is like a really nice gym in, in London. Um, and I'm doing sales coaching um, at my old company, they've afforded me this brilliant opportunity to sort of coach some of the team. And by the way, I think it's important as well to um, just um, acknowledge that one of the things, one of the reasons why I became unhappy and sort of unfulfilled what I realized is that I just stopped learning I was doing this job that I could essentially do not quite my eyes closed but you know that is the expression that comes to mind so I was doing sales coaching so I was teaching people how to sell which was a new skill in itself how do you coach people so I did loads of reading on it I was like, wow, there's this psychology behind it, and coaching is about getting people to. come up with the answer not like dictating Mm. it to them so how do you do that asking the right questions getting them to figure it out for themselves because if you figure something out yourself you've learned it yeah if if i say to you this is how you do something you're going to go out of this room you're going to go and do something else and then 10 minutes you're going to go bruce just said something really profound i'm pretty sure he gave me the key to that thing but i can't remember what he said whereas if your brain you know this is like neuroplasticity isn't it it's like Uh it it literally creates an area in your brain that goes that's that in that archive you've got that now it's in storage Um, so I was learning about that and um, I you know I was pounding the gym I was spending a lot of time in the gym I was sober and I was just really into it and the whole time I'm like what should I do what should I do and I'm doing quite a lot of yoga as well. Yoga is helping me. Um, we haven't been ta- we haven't talked about yoga, but we can if we've got time. Um, and so I just get to a point where I'm like, fitness, like, could I go into fitness? And I'm thinking, I've done a lot of cocaine, I've done quite a lot of drinking, I've done quite a lot of smoking. I don't know if I can go into fitness. That sounds like I'm an imposter. And then I thought, actually be quite good to have an imposter into an industry with like no people who've like done that kind of gnarly shit and I'm wondering how many people who've done that gnarly shit might get want want help from someone who's lived that has had that experience and is now and so I basically trained to be a PT I trained to be a PT and I also trained to be a yoga instructor um both of those things And, and the way I sort of uh would sum it up is that I just lent into it I was like okay I'm doing this thing just lean into it and just see see what comes out of it um you know and now I live in Brighton you know I have a you know I have clients and um I teach yoga um at different sort of places at the different sort of like gyms um it's early days for me but um You know, it gives me an opportunity to kind of help people to try and help them grow, turn into better human beings, which is very important to me now. Um, To use my experience as, you know, gritty and sometimes horrible to look at as it is to create, you know, something positive in terms of my legacy. But it also means I don't have a Blackberry. And I get to spend quite a lot of time with human beings and outside and not so much with emails. I get to build little communities, whether they're classes or just, you know, at a gym in terms of, you know, the memberships. Um, And that has so that sort of feeds into, you know, all these things that I've sort of my little journey has basically taught me is is kind of important is and is the way is is the way for me and is. Um, you know, something that I feel is a lot more, yeah, a lot more, a lot more balanced, but it's, you know, it's, it's terrifying, of course. Um, I, I have massive imposter syndrome and I'm still, still, you know, getting to grips with this balance thing. You know, I still like to go out and, you know, I, I, drink now and that, that that's another sort of, you know, conversation, but essentially in 2020 during COVID, um, you know, I guess you could call it a relapse, but I kind of didn't go off on, you know, the same crazy the Bruce the monster didn't reemerge. I actually, um, through the work I'd done, found that it wasn't having the same, you know, effect on me in terms of this insatiable, um, addictive sort of appetite to to just do more and more and more. Yeah, so, yeah, life's, life's, life's pretty, pretty pretty sweet, yeah. That's yeah.
1: a, a, a huge journey, isn't it? You know, from beginning all the way through and the way you, where you are now, it's fantastic to see. And yeah. it's interesting that you, you're you more outwardly focused now. It's from you, your sales training, training other people and the coaching piece to helping people. It's it's a lot more outwardly focused, isn't it, than, than it maybe had been previously?
0: Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Um, and I've, But I think I have to really watch that. I've been watching that, like, recently where I can... I've sort of observed that I'm like, you know, I've got to look the perfect way. I've got to amass this amount of money and my company's got to have this status. And then I'm like, whoa, Mm. like Bruce, hang on a minute. What the fuck are you doing? Like, this is like the shit that we're trying to move away from. So, you know, I kind of, I've got, you know, a therapist who I see weekly and he's quite good to sort of soundboard stuff with and, I think one of the things that I want to do going forward is sort of talk to him about or make a plan with him and with other people about how I can make sure this. What I'm doing is achieving is true to the, the things that I the tenants that I kind of set out that I wanted that were important to me. So, you know, not being consumed by it. Um, so having time to go and do other things that I want to do. Um not being fixated with um, this image that we're all familiar with of, you know, the perfect ripped bod, you know, that's not why I do what I do. I do what I do to try and maintain some balance mm. so I can go and eat a Five Guys fucking burger. Mm. So I can, you know, drink a few beers, you know, on the when the night kind of warrants it um, and have a yeah, have a, have a sort of balance, but you know, it's hard, it's hard to sort of one to literally juggle that, but also just to keep it in your mind. What, what, what you're doing. Um,
1: do you still keep in touch with Jack at all? I don't,
0: I don't actually, um, he's probably really busy helping like other suffering, like, yeah. Um, people who were in my position in, in 2017, but I should, Reach out to him. I've had some contact with his sponsor, who was kind of like a sort of elder within uh, within our group. Um, I've had some contact with him, which has been nice. I think he's got, like, young kids now, so yeah. Yeah, he's probably... Just uh, like up to his elbows in shit, whatever you guys do. Is You'd have to send experience. a copy of the
1: podcast so he can have a listen. It'd be interesting for him to hear the journey you've been on and how pivotal it was in, in your journey. Yeah, so.
0: yeah, that would be kind of yeah. nice, actually. Yeah, yeah, um yeah. Hopefully, I haven't said anything uh, bad about the program. But no, I mean, I've just been. Yeah, I've just been. No, I don't think. I don't think I have. I don't think I have. I think. No, I don't I, think so at all. No. no. Um,
2: there's quite a lot that we haven't talked about that I want to, but in the end, I wanted to talk about your ayahuasca journey. But I think for the, for, we had quite a lot of feedback from our first podcast that it was too long. Um, right. So maybe, I don't know, we should listen to that. But I think, I think for me, what, what is amazing as well is what you haven't talked about actually is any goals. And I mean that in a good way, as in, I, you know, in the sort of commercial corporate world, we're all, it's all goal orientated, right? And I, I do believe there is a place for goals, but I think what I'm sensing from what you're saying is there isn't really like there's not like an end goal. Do you know what I mean? It feels to me it's like even though you know with the PT and you know we, with coaching people, it's like well that's just a journey. It's mm. not. It's mm. not like I want that X Y Z goal. Mm. Mm. Is that fair?
0: Yeah, and if you think about it, I think that's why like balance is kind of like really important. If you think about balance, it's like you know scales on a fulcrum, right? They can go one way or the other. There's two ways that they can go. Kind of feeds in nicely to the title of the podcast, right? But you know, it's not like they go one. You know, it's not. It's like it's they're in constant state of flux. It's kind of a met- good metaphor for like you know nature or the fucking universe, you know. And it's just. That is, you know, what is happening, you know, and I can put a bit more eggs in one basket or the other. So that's kind of like how I, you know, look at what I'm doing now. I kind of, yeah, of course I have goals, but I try and keep them kind of quite near term within the year. I do this thing actually where, I've done it for the last two years, where at the start of the year I write a letter to myself, which says by the end of that year, this is where I'll be. So dear Bruce, by the end of this year, you'll have work in a yoga studio, you'll have X number of clients and you'll be, you know, you'll have, I think this year it's like, you'd have lowered your living costs to, to this, which, you know, is important to me because I'm a spendy bastard. So, um, and I'll do that next year and it just keeps it sort of in the, in the near term. And yeah, it's a it's a cliche, isn't it? But you know, it's the process. You just trust trust the process. So I just try and show up, do the things that I know that I need to do, and and that's it. And everything else should you know uh, fall fall into line. And I don't. I also, I don't know where this is going to take me in five years. I've just started it, so how yeah. could I yeah. possibly know? And I need to be open to it going in any direction that I want. You know, kind of through me letting go and just being. Uh, Realistic about the fact I don't have any control over that what else what what else can you do you know you know there's no point in oh I'm gonna you know cause um, yeah my experience is life doesn't want like that it throws you all sorts of curveballs so I wouldn't have it any other way
2: well I think that's a Great place to end unless you've got any other questions, but...
1: I've got one final question, yeah, if I can, Yeah. it's time. It would be, if you could uh, write a letter to 18-year-old Bruce driving up the motorway to Sheffield, what, what, what messages do you think would be contained in, in that letter based on the journey that you've been on and any kind of key messages?
0: Um, I think it would be, listen to your heart more. Listen, listen to your heart more. I think... Um, You know, some of the things I've mentioned about in meditation, intuition, you know, whatever you want to, however you want to phrase it. um, You know, our minds and our thoughts and our fears and our emotions, you know, can really govern what we do. And yeah, it can be quite, can be quite dangerous and destroying at times. So, yeah, I think, yeah, listen, listen to your heart. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I tell him. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant.
2: Well I think like from from my side, I think my my takeaway, you know, obviously the the tale of the twelve step process and, and that journey I think is fascinating. But I think for me, what I love about this discussion is stripping back of stripping back, simplifying and just completely changing the metrics. As in nothing's about more, nothing's about I have to go and achieve this. It's like no, keep my cost base really low. Don't have anything that I have chaining me up, and just have a freer existence. I think that for me is a, it's an amazing story of a evolution of you know chasing things not potentially for the wrong reasons, but for because of sort of well intended. You know, parental approval, do what everyone else is doing around me. But now to reach a position where it's like, yeah, I don't have a crazy ambitious goal and that's what I want mm. so I think I think it's I really appreciate you uh
1: going through the story it's it's epic yeah I, th- I think there's a lot of key messages in there and there's a lot will, that will resonate with a lot of people out there who have gone through similar things or maybe slightly different variations of that and I think I know we've met a couple of times but it can't be easy sitting down and being so transparent and open so thank you very much for that and I think it's really interesting fascinating journey that you've been on and uh, I'm really pleased for where you are now and where you're headed so thank you
0: yeah nice one guys I think it's a great theme for your for your podcast so yeah I hope people enjoyed it wicked Brilliant.
1: cool man thanks Bruce nice one wow what a conversation that was such a brutally honest account of a very difficult situation that I think would affect many people in the country who have been through similar 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 paths, similar stories that maybe aren't able to articulate it in the same way or want to articulate it in the same way it was a fascinating lesson for me absolutely
2: and obviously from knowing bruce fairly well you know i'm really proud that he's able to be so vulnerable and so open about a difficult phase but how he sort of transitioned into actually making it into something really positive and for me you know it just i think we said it during the conversation it's so nice that he's not trying to necessarily attach a load of goals and you a know, load of stuff he has to do. He's just living an
1: honest life and I think we can all learn a lot from that. Completely. And I've met Bruce a couple of times very fleetingly in the past. So for him to be able to sit there in front of me and, and, and divulge all of that personal information, can't have been easy. So I really appreciate that he was able to do that. And I think two of the key messages that I took from that conversation were one, that kind of transition from internal self and an ego to where he is now he just wants to help other people and um, do his best for other people which is which is fantastic and the other thing for me was the key message he would give his 18 year old self which is follow your heart I mean we can all take something from that right absolutely
2: absolutely fantastic well that's it for another podcast. Um, we have got some really exciting ones coming up uh, that's a little bit more focused on business, from the world of music. So yeah, watch this space and look forward to some more conversations. And you know, in the meantime, there's another way. See you soon, guys. And thanks to Sam Hammond for our intro and outro music, Gummy by Neverlander.